Good morning. Uh, if you fall asleep in today's sermon, you've been warned. The America that existed in the 1950s and 60s is long gone. Uh, you can ask any uh, of our old timers or what I like to call the seasoned saints in the room, uh, and, and they will tell you that things are drastically different, that, that we live in a different world, different culture. There's been a massive uh, cultural shift um, from the way things used to be uh, to the way things are now. And not all of these changes are bad, uh, but some are. And I would argue that this is one of the ones that is not good. One of the huge changes that we have seen is that we have moved from a front porch society to a backyard people. A, a front porch, pe- people used to sit, okay, and this is strange for us, people used to sit on their front porches, okay, and talk to people as they went by because that's what people did. Like they walked and they drank lemonade and they talked to people. It's very strange. Not, not through any mediums like text messaging or Facebook. They actually had conversations with other people, right? That's, again, very, very odd for us. But, but people used to do that because they, we were a front porch society. But we've seen a massive shift to be a backyard people to where now we don't sit on the front porch. We go in the backyard where we have our massive privacy fences built up so that we don't have to talk to anyone ever. And for so many Americans, they're so uh, withdrawn that their life could consist of never having any real interaction and simply merely living inside of a pod. As they're in their home pod, they go out into their garage, which is closed, by the way. They get into their car, which is a pod. They, the, the garage door opens up. They drive to their work where they sit in their cubicle, which is a pod, all day long. And then they get back into their car, which is their pod, and they drive back into the driveway, um, you know, opening up the garage door, drive into the garage and close it back securely so they don't have to talk to anyone, see anyone, uh, and go back inside their home pod. Now, from recent studies, we're learning uh, that playing cards with neighbors is drastically down, having friends over for dinner is declining, and playing a board game with your family almost never happens. In Robert Putnam's book, Bowling Alone, he says this, more Americans than ever are bowling, but they are not bowling in leagues, they are bowling alone. Isn't that strange? All across the country, connections with Little League Sports, Boy Scouts, Rotary Clubs, and other social and community organizations is down anywhere from 20 to 50% from the 1960s. We have withdrawn into cocoons of smartphones, laptops, tablets, drinking in a steady stream of internet, Netflix, and Facebook. You may ask yourself, do you want to hang out with friends? America would say no. We would rather stay home and watch friends. We're curious about, uh, you know, whether Ross and Rachel ever make it. You know, we know the answer, but that doesn't stop us from binge-watching every episode. And so we've seen this massive shift, and, and, and things have changed in our world to where social interaction, the, the, the society has really begun to withdraw from that, and we live in a world to where we, we have 100 friends on Facebook, but no friends in real life. So, with this decline in social interaction, what does this mean for the church? Well, we've seen that same decline in the church in America. People withdrawing away from the church, withdrawing away from that type of community connection 
to the church, listen to this, never before in the history of Christianity have we ever had churchless Christians. It's, it's never happened in, 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 in Christianity's history. When, when you got saved, when you came to know the Lord, it was automatically assumed that you were going to connect with his people and be a part of a local church. It's just what you did. But now all across America, especially here in the South, what we find is, what do you believe? And someone might say this, well, I believe in Jesus. Okay, what do you believe about Jesus? Well, I believe that Jesus is the son of God and that to believe on him, you have to believe on him to be saved and his atoning work on the cross. Okay, great. Where do you go to church? I don't. <laughs> well, I, I thought you were, I'm confused. <laughs> but but we're, we're seeing that all over the place now. So uh, this is kind of what is happening. Uh, for the 2,000 years, professing, professing Christians had a church home and now many do not. Listen to this quote from George Barna. Uh, George Barna is the founder of the Barna Group, uh, which is a marketing research firm specializing uh, in studying of religious beliefs and American behavior. Listen to what uh, this uh, guy, George Barna, has to say. If a local church facilitates a kind of godly life, then it is good. And if a person is able to live a godly life outside of a congregational-based faith, then that is good to. What, what's he saying? What, what's this guy who has studied America and studied the church and studied religious beliefs and practices? Well, he's saying that the church is take it or leave it. People are withdrawing from social interactions. So if somebody can have a connection with God uh, by you know, pulling up uh, you know, some type of video preacher on their TV on Sunday morning, you know, they, they don't necessarily have to go and connect with real people in a real physical building. Um, there, there's a way to, to be a part of the church sort of by you know, just watching the TV preacher guy and, and living a good life and, and maybe reading your Bible every now and then. You see, how many times have you guys heard, how many times have I heard, you know, I can worship Jesus on the golf course on Sunday morning just as well as I can in the church. I, I can worship Jesus in the deer stand. I can worship Jesus on the lake. It, it's, it's not necessarily about connecting in a building with a physical people. Um, it, 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 you know, it's, it's something different. Our world today basically takes the stance of the churches kind of take it or leave it. Let, let's create it and make it what we want it to be and what our society says it should be, uh, which obviously our society is moving away from social interaction. And so therefore, we're seeing the same thing happen in the church. The church is not necessary. The church is optional. So if we as a society are withdrawing from everything, can we withdraw from the church? Is the church necessary in the life of a believer? That's the question. A very interesting question, uh, which I will seek to answer today. Now, uh, I have a conflict of interest. Okay, so, so I'm answering the question, is the church necessary? Okay, what's my conflict of interest? I'm a paid pastor. So what I'm going to do today is seek to show you from the scriptures that the church is vitally important. We're going to be spending some time today with a guy named the Apostle Paul, and he loves the church. 
his heart beats for the church. Why? Because he believes it necessary in the life of the believer. And so he sets out to love the church, to build the church, to be a part of the church. He, he loves it. And so here, here's my whole goal for all of us today. I, I want us today to be leaving out of these doors saying, I love my church. I love it. I love the church. I love being a part of the church. I love the people at my church. I love serving at my church. I love giving to my church because it is a necessary part of the Christian life. It's not to be substituted by anything else than the corporate body gathered together where there is communion, where there is breaking of bread, where there's the preach word of God, where the saints are gathered, where there's biblical church leadership, where, where all of these things are taking place. There is no substitute for it. And I love my church and I love being a part of it. That, that is my hope today that we would leave here feeling that way. Let's take a look at our text again. Like I said, I'm very biased. I love the church and I want you to love it too. But let me prove this to you from the scriptures that we are to love the church and want to sacrifice for it. Verses one through three. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and he had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months and when a plot was made against him by the Jews... He set sail for Syria. He had decided to return through Macedonia. Okay, this chapter opens up with after the uproar ceased. Who was with us last week? Raise your hand if you were with us last week. Okay, what uproar is he talking about? Uh, he's talking about the massive riot in Ephesus where uh, the silversmiths guild uh, got really irritated because people were getting saved and they weren't buying a little shrines uh, made to Artemis. And, and, and it basically was calling an economic collapse in the cell of these pagan deities. And so there was this massive riot, which ended up turning into a two-hour Artemis worship session where Gaius and Aristarchus was almost killed Okay, um, and, and, and so then the town clerk comes in, settles everybody down, uh, and they, they go on about their way. That's after, we're, we're now after that uh, uproar, okay? So, so just place yourself in that city at that time with those people. Um, you, you've tried to do this great thing for the Lord, uh, but, but then there's a massive riot, and everybody's worshiping Artemis, okay? So um, you, you can imagine there being a, a little bit of discouragement there, but what does Paul do? After the uproar, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he encouraged, after the huge riot, I mean, it's like, we should probably just pack it up and be done. But, but no, Paul gathers the people around. He says, okay, guys, listen, we're the church. We're the church of Jesus Christ. Don't, don't you see how beautiful it is to be a part of a church? So guys, listen, I, I gotta go, okay? I, I've, I've got other churches to see. I've, I've got other people to encourage. But listen, keep on meeting together. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep taking communion. Keep loving one another. Keep serving one another. Keep being the church. He, he gathers this church together and says, keep on going. I love you guys and I want to see the gospel go out and I want to see your lives blessed and all of that is going to happen through the church. So keep being the church. So he encourages them. And then when he had gone through those regions and having given them encouragement, 
Listen, the Apostle Paul sets out to plant churches, and as he starts these new churches, he raises up leadership in that church. He then hands that church over to those elders and deacons there as, as leaders in that church, and he goes on to start another church. And then ever so often, what he'll do is he'll go back to those churches that, by God's grace, he founded, and, and he'll go in there, and you know what he'll say? Jesus is alive. Keep on going, keep preaching the gospel, keep, keep breaking bread together, keep being the church. He goes back through those areas and back through those regions to, to continue to encourage them. So despite the hostile environment that, that he was in, I mean, listen, the, the Jews did not want to see, the Jewish religious leaders did not want to see the church happen they didn't want it. The, the, the Gentiles in that day and time, they, again, we just saw a massive riot. Do you think they want the church to succeed? No, but, but it doesn't matter about the political climate. Paul is still in love with the church, so dedicated that he's willing to go from town to town, place to place, gathering the church together, and, and, and he's gonna encourage them, and he's gonna say, keep preaching the gospel, keep breaking bread, keep meeting together, keep loving one another, keep serving one another, keep being the church. And he goes from town to town and place to place telling them the church is worth giving your life to and if necessary, the church is worth giving your life for. That's what the Apostle Paul is telling them. You have to understand travel in the first century as he goes from this place to this place to this place. Uh, he is not riding in an air-conditioned car he, he is not flying in, in a climate-controlled jumbo jet, okay? He, he is walking um, hundreds and hundreds of miles, possibly riding an animal, but, but you have to understand the difficulty of travel in those days. It was, it was physically exhausting. I don't know if you've ever been over there. It's hot, okay? So it's hot, and he's walking long, long distances, traveling. The, the, this traveling would have cost him money. This traveling would have been extremely extensive, uh, invasive on, on his physical uh, aspects of his life. I mean, th this would have been very, very hard as he would travel and walking and going and doing that. But, but why is he driven? He's driven to travel to these places and, and work so hard because he loves the church. Not only is it just physically dangerous to do the traveling, here people are trying to kill him. <laughs> When he had gone through those regions and had given him much encouragement, there he spent several months, and a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria. Again, they don't want the church to happen, and so likely what happened, he's about to set sail. Uh, what do you think their plot is? Let's get out in the middle of the ocean. Uh, let's kill him, dump him overboard, and then when we arrive, they'll say, hey, where's the apostle Paul? And they go, Who? I don't know what you're talking about, right? That, that's likely the plot that, that was placed on his life. And, and again, we're reading this going, Paul, stop, right? I mean, you've done enough. You've, you've said enough. You've planted enough churches. You've encouraged people enough. Take a break before you get killed. Listen to this. This is from 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. Just listen to what this man endured for the love of the church. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, 
less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship with many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure and apart from other things. There, it, Listen to this. There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the church. Parents, do you feel sometimes anxiety over your children? Okay. Why do you feel anxiety over your children? The answer is because you love them so dearly. So when we look at this, I mean, danger in the city, danger in the streets, no food, no sleep, no nothing. And we're going, why are you going through all of this, Paul? Why are you doing this to yourself? I mean, this seems crazy. It seems like you should hang it up, throw in the towel, be done. Why are you doing this? And he would say, I can't stop because I love the church. I love it so much. I want to see more people reach for Jesus. I want to see more people in community. I want to see more people hearing good Bible preaching. I want to see more people taking communion. I want to see more marriages saved. I can't stop going forward because I love the church so much. So I'll endure the sleepless nights. I'll I'll take a beating for the church. So... While this section we read is geography and history, right? Then he goes to this place and he sails to this place and it doesn't seem like there's much here, does it? He's he's just kind of traveling around and what Dr. Luke is doing is he's giving us the historical and, 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 and geography account of what's happening. So while this section we read geography and history, it's love for the church that comes shining amazingly through these pages because the church is the people of God doing the work of God. The church is the people of God doing the work of God. You have to understand that the church is... The church is an organization for sure, okay? There, there, there are organization, there's organizing structures that put this church together, but it's also, it's not only an organization, it's an organism. It is made up of living people. There are people here. There are lives at stake. You have to understand that. As, as people grow up in the church, if, if, okay, it's Father's Day. If we can get men, fathers here at this church, if we can get men to read the gospel, if we can get men to live and chase after Jesus, you have to understand that has impact on people's lives for generations. That's why the church is so important. We're talking about people's lives. We're talking about children. We're talking about our sons and our daughters. We're talking about our communities and our neighborhoods and people's lives who could be forever changed. The, the alcoholic, the, 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 the guy who's angry all the time, the, the, the adulterer, those people can be saved and redeemed by Jesus and then their families will have impact for generations. That's what the church does. It preaches that gospel that changes people's lives. That's why the church is so important. That's why Paul can't stop. Four through six. Sopater, the Berean, son of Phyrus, accompanied him of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and the Asians, and Tychicus, and Trophimus. They went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. 
But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Okay? We see this list of guys uh, and where they're from. Why is Luke telling us that? Why is this important? Okay? Here's why it's important. In uh, Romans chapter 15, we learn that not only is Paul going from town to town, place to place, where he has founded these churches, encouraging them, he is also concerned for the poor believers back in Jerusalem. Back in Jerusalem, in that church, there were some people that were very, very poor. So as Paul goes to these churches and he encourages them, what he's doing is he's taking up an offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem And he is gathering these guys, okay, these Gentile guys, not Jewish guys. He's gathering these Gentile guys from different churches that he's gone to, and he's bringing them along with him to go to Jerusalem as a representative, bringing that offering to the poor saints in Jerusalem. So he's caring for the poor people in the church, and he's working for church unity, Do the Jews and the Greeks generally like each other? No, they don't. So what he's done here is these poor saints, these poor Jewish saints, he's bringing along with him other Gentile believers who have given money to them and for them to to create church unity and to care for these poor people. I mean, this guy is, is not only just encouraging, he's also meeting the practical needs of that church by gathering funds to, to help people, and he's working towards overall church unity so that the church will work together better so that more people hear the gospel, so that more people's lives are changed. I mean, this guy is relentless. He's fighting for the care and for the unity of the church because he loves the church. He's gathering funds. I was thinking about this this week and and the Apostle Paul's great love for the church. And you can just imagine as he's traveling around, going from place to place, I just, in my mind, I got this, this picture of the Apostle Paul possibly laying in an open field uh, because he's traveling from, from this place to that place. And he's, he's, it's nighttime and he has to lay down and rest so he can get up and travel some more the next day. And there's the apostle Paul laying in an open field, maybe j- just on some type of sleeping bag there. And, and he hasn't eaten anything and he's laying out in the cold and, and he's just there with, with, with like one blanket getting ready to get up in the morning and travel to the next town. But he's not thinking about how hungry he is. He's not thinking about how cold he is. He's wondering if the poor saints in Jerusalem are going to have anything to eat. He's laying there in in anxiety over the church, wondering if if the church in Corinth, that pagan city full of of, of sensuality, he's, he's laying there praying to God, oh God, protect the church in Corinth. Allow them to be pure, oh God. I mean, he's just pouring out his heart for the church. And then he would wake up and go to that next town and encourage those people. He he would then leave there and go to that next town and he would travel again. You have to understand as he's traveling and going and doing and and he's preaching and teaching, not only is he doing that, oh, he's also writing books of the Bible. (laughs) He's preaching, he's teaching, he's gathering funds. He's writing books of the Bible to serve these churches. He's writing letters to them to encourage them, to rebuke them, to admonish them, all for the love of the church. Now, like I said, I hope you're not asleep yet. You've been warned. Let's take a look at this next section. 
On the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. He prolonged his speech until midnight. Biblical evidence for long sermons. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus sitting in the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul's talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is still in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak. So he departed uh, until daybreak and so departed and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Now, before we get to Eutychus, uh, there, there are a few things that we have to see in this text. What we've just seen is a snapshot of the early church. This is an early church gathering, an early church meeting. And what do we see? Number one, on the first day of the week, when are they meeting? On the first day of the week, not the seventh day of the week, which is the Sabbath day, Saturday, they are meeting on the first day of the week, not our Monday. This is Sunday for them. They're gathering together on Sunday um, as the people of God. Now, in Colossians 2, 16 through 17, Paul explicitly refers to the Sabbath as a shadow of Christ, okay, which is no longer binding because the substance has come. So, so we don't meet on Saturday. We don't practice the Sabbath because it was a promise of a shadow that was going to come and Jesus has come. So we no longer meet on Saturdays. In addition, the Sabbath uh, was assigned to Israel of the Mosaic covenant. Since we are not under the Mosaic covenant, we are under the new covenant. According to Hebrews 8, we are no longer required to observe the sign of the Mosaic covenant, which is Saturday worship. So we worship on Sundays, and Sundays began to be called the Lord's Day. You remember that text in Revelation where, where John kind of you know, sees everything? He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. So Jesus resurrected okay, and is alive, and that happened on what day? Sunday. So we gather as believers in Christ on Sunday for that reason. And we can look back way back in the past history of the church. And what day are they gathering on Sunday? Now, you have to understand how difficult this would have been for them. Uh, they didn't have Sundays off. They didn't have that day off. Okay. So uh, they would go to work in the morning because they, it, it, again, it's like our Monday, it's the first day. So, so they would go to work on Monday morning, okay? And, and then they would go to church that night. So Sunday morning, they would wake up, they would go to their jobs. And, and, and then around, you know, six or seven at night to, to celebrate the Lord's day, they would gather together. So again, when it says that uh, Paul preaches midnight, this is a long sermon, okay? But maybe not as long as you think. Uh, because they, they didn't meet on Sunday morning, you know, 10, 15, uh, and then he preached till midnight that night. But, but still, that's a long sermon if they got together at seven and he preaches till midnight. Okay, that's still a long sermon. Okay, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, the early church met on Sunday and they broke bread. What does that mean? It means they got together as a community. 
Someone stood up in front of that community and said, from a, they took from a common loaf and they would tear off a piece and they would say, we are taking this bread right here to remember the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ who went to the cross to die in our place for our sins. They then took a common cup and they would say, this cup of wine, yes, real wine, sorry, Baptists, they would take a cup of wine and they would say, this wine here represents the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, that blood that was shed on the cross in our place for our sins. And then they would, as a community, as a family, as a local church body, they would partake in communion together on Sunday. Friends, are you seeing how beautiful this thing is that we're a part of? That we look back in, in ancient church history and what were they doing? They were gathering on Sunday and they were taking communion. They were breaking the bread and dipping it in the wine and they were remembering what Jesus Christ has done. And so today at the conclusion of the sermon, after the response time, what are we gonna do? We're gonna take communion remembering our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only were they gathered on Sunday, not only did they partake in communion, what else happened? They preached. There was the preaching of the word of God. The apostle Paul took out his Old Testament. Maybe he turned to Isaiah. Maybe he turned, I mean, who knows where he turned, but the apostle Paul opened up his Bible and shared God's word with the people. So today, we're here on Sunday in just a little while, we're going to take communion. We take communion here every week. And, and I've had some people say, well, if we take communion every week, won't it lose its meaning? Well, it depends on where your heart is. How often are we commanded to pray? Without ceasing, right? Like, don't, don't stop praying. Well, if we pray that much, I mean, won't it lose its meaning? Depends on where your heart is. As a community, listen, you have to understand how we do things here. We do things for a very specific reason. Where is the preaching in our service? Right in the middle. We have songs that go in the beginning. We have songs at the end. But we put the preaching of God's word and communion at the very center of our service to remind us why we're here. To be gathered around our Lord Jesus Christ, his broken body and his shed blood, which is communicated to us through the mighty and powerful word of God. That's what they did then. That's what we do now. Incredible, incredible. So they had a long sermon, didn't they? It says it a couple different ways. There Paul is, he's preaching. He's still preaching. Keeps on preaching. Oh, another application point, another application point. He says, guys, I'm, I'm getting close to being done here. I'll, I'll close with this. And they know that means absolutely nothing. And he keeps on preaching. Why do we at Gospel Community Church have long sermons? We got long sermons, y'all. Now, if you were here in the beginning, they were even longer, okay? I, I have done my best to, to, to really whittle this thing down as much as I can, and, and maybe, you know, as I, as I grow older and, and wiser and whatever, uh, I'll whittle it down even more, but we preach a long time here, and, and we do that, again, for a very specific reason. What, what are those reasons? One, because the Bible is important. If I only see you guys one time a week, I'm going to get as much Bible into you as I can. I'm, 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 gonna, I'm gonna open this up and as long as you'll sit here without falling asleep like Eutychus here, I'm gonna preach as long as you're with me. 
So we preach long sermons because the Bible is important. In addition, we preach long sermons because we believe that our culture is preaching a sermon and you've heard the world sermon all week long. So when you get here, I have one hour to, to kind of counteract all the other sermons you've been hearing all week long. I only get one hour, okay? <laughs> so so uh, Paul preaches here till midnight. When I go over five minutes, just give me a break, okay? I, I don't preach as long as Paul here. So, so we're doing that to, to kind of understand that all week long, we've, we've had a sermon preached to us by television. We've had a sermon preached to us by politicians. We've had sermons preached to us all week long. And so as we gather here, we're gathering to hear God's preached word to refresh and reset our minds. And sometimes that takes a long time. In addition, we preach long because we, we are honoring the fathers who have gone before us. We, we here uh, at this church are in the Reformed tradition, in, in the Puritan tradition. Listen, Puritans preach two to three hours with, listen to this, 15 points at least of application. <laughs> Can you imagine? Two to three hours, and then they're like, okay, uh, we're starting on our 15 points of application, you know, and that's after the two-hour sermon. He's going to go another hour applying the text with 15 points at least of application. That's, that's the Puritans. Okay? And, and we are in that great tradition of the reformers who preached hour-long plus uh, exegetical sermons, exegeting the text, going line by line, verse by verse, through books of the Bible. So that's why we do what we do here in this great tradition, looking at this great church that gathered on Sunday, that broke bread, and, and the word of God was preached. I, I want you to see how beautiful this thing the church is. I, again, I want your heart today to say, I love the church. I, I want you to see that we are a part of something that was here before we were, and, and we are a part of something that will be here once we're gone. That, that all over the world, in, in Africa, in Asia, in Russia, in China, in the UK, and all over the world today, on this great day, the Lord's Day, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Christians have woken up this morning. They have gathered together in buildings, in homes, wherever they could gather. They have gotten together and someone, a, pre a preacher, a pastor has opened up this book and he has preached God's word. And in all over the world, people have taken bread and they have broken it and they've dipped it in the juice. All over the world, this is happening. And we are a part of a beautiful global movement called the church of Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. It's great to know that, that what we're doing here matters. And it's happening all over the world. And we're a part of that. We're a part of that. that that's why I think this little card that, that we had in the chairs last week that says pray for Inverness. We, we had this in the chairs last week. And this is just such a great reminder to, to not only pray for the church in Inverness that we're helping plant, but, it, but it's also a great reminder to know that I'm a part of something so much bigger than myself, that I'm a part of the, the church universal. I'm a part of the church global. The church universal is um, every believer everywhere who's ever lived. That's, that's the people of God. We're also part of a church global, meaning we're a part of the church that, that is every believer everywhere on the planet now. And we're also a part of a local church, which is that it's expressed through gospel community church here as a local context, as a local body. I know I'm a part of that when I look at this card, when I pray for that church in Scotland. It's a beautiful thing to know they were doing it. Now, now on to Eutychus, okay? So here's what I want you to understand. Uh, let's not, uh, you know, look down on Eutychus too bad, 
Here's what you need to understand. Again, uh, he's, he's, a, he's a lad, okay? It calls him a young man, uh, th- this Greek word here. He's, he's anywhere from eight to 18, okay? He's a kid in the youth group, right? He's there. Now, uh, he's a kid in the youth group, not an American kid. Uh, he, he is a first century kid who had a job, okay? So he got up in the morning and he went to work, okay? Now, the good thing is he made it to the church service. So let's just be glad that you, yes, he went to sleep, but at least he made it there and we're glad about that. Okay, so, so Eutychus makes it to the church service. Now, there was some details that, that we were given. They were in the upper room. Now, uh, what many Bible commentators believe is where they were uh, was likely the upper attic of like an apartment building. Okay, just imagine an upper attic. Um, there, there's usually not a b- lot of beams or, or posts. There's just a few to kind of hold the roof up. So that, that means it would have been a large empty room. And, and you have to imagine this place is packed. I mean, it's the, the Apostle Paul's in town. Like everybody goes when, you know. So there they are. They're in this room and it's packed. What other detail did we get? Well, there was, there was lamps, okay? There was lots of, so, so candlelight. Candlelight, okay? It's, get, put yourself there, okay? I'm, I'm there, I'm, I'm in this upper room. We're, we're jam-packed, okay? There's, there's candlelight. It's warm. Candlelight flickering, I've been working all day, Paul's talking, and he's talking, and he's talking, and he's talking, and, and, and the text here says that, that Eutychus was overcome by sleep, so, so you can imagine, now, I, I often wish that you guys could see what I see, okay, um, y'all know y'all do this, okay, He's overcome by sleep, which gives the idea that he's kind of trying to fight it. Like he really wants to. I mean, it's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul's in town, and I want to hear him preach. So, so there is Eutychus, and you know, he's, he, he, you know, he, oh yes, amen, amen. You know, <clears throat> write that, write that down. You know, is he, oh, mm, oh, amen, brother. You know, you, so, so you can tell that that he's, you know, he's kind of jolting, and, and, and in my imagination, I just kind of see him, and, and, and at least he's tried to get by the window to maybe get some, you know, it's, it's cramped, there's, there's no AC, so he's by the window possibly to get some, you know, air circulation to, you know, help him stay awake, uh, but, but it doesn't work, and as Paul preaches on and on and on and on, just like I'm doing right now, um, he, he is overcome by sleep, and in my mind, he kind of does that jolt, you know, jerk thing that you do sometimes, you get, and, and just jolts himself right out of the window. And so while we kind of see it humorous here today, you have to understand that at this service, um, a kid in the youth group died, right? Um, that's not, uh, nobody's ever going to forget that Bible study, right? Um, a, a kid in, in the youth group dies. But the apostle Paul is not done preaching, So he goes downstairs and it says that he bent over him or lays over him. Uh, This is really reminiscent, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, of of Elijah and Elisha and kind of how they, uh, uh, miracles that they performed. He he leans over him and taking him in his arms says, he's still got life in him. Okay, now, uh, some of your more liberal commentators don't really see this as a miracle. Okay, Uh, you know, he fell out of the window, got his breath knocked out of him. 
The apostle Paul goes down, kind of lays over, you know, he, oh, he's got a heartbeat, you know, we're okay, and, and takes it. Let me tell you why I disagree with that, and let me explain why this is a resurrection miracle. It's a resurrection miracle because Dr. Luke says right there in the text, he was taken up dead. When the medical Dr. Luke says you're dead, you're dead. Then after that, the apostle Paul goes down, lays over him, and an amazing miracle granted by God, his life is restored back to him. And then guess what? What happens next? They go back upstairs and it says, and he conversed with them longer. <laughs> that is a Bible study, y'all. This is, this is incredible. I mean, this is, this is awesome. This showed the people in the church that Paul was the real deal. It serves as evidence for the truthfulness of his message. And he conversed with them all night long, okay? And he keeps on going. I mean, this is, and he took the youth away alive and they were not a little comforted. I mean, he goes up and keeps on preaching. He keeps on going. Now, what happens next? Well, he's getting ready to go. He's, He's traveling like crazy. He's exhausted himself. And, and he doesn't say, well, it's getting late, guys. I, I got to head out in the morning. It should be nice to, to get a few winks. We might say, Paul, you've been traveling like crazy and preaching and teaching and writing books of the Bible all along the way. You have to leave first thing in the morning. Why don't you go home and get some rest? Slow down a little bit, Paul. He would say, I can't, I love the church. I am here for a limited time. I want to give the church all that I have. I want to be available. I want to sacrifice for what I love and I love the church. That's what he would say. That's what he did. Very interesting what we see next. Verses 13 through 16, but going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. Interesting. And we had met, a, met us at Asos. We took him on board and went to Mytilene. After sailing uh, from there with following day opposite Chios, the next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that at Miletus. For Paul decided to sail past Ephesus so that we might not have time to spend in Asia, for he was hastening to be in Jerusalem if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now, uh, the commentators are divided over why Paul doesn't get on the ship. The, the, other, the rest of his team gets on the ship, right? But having gone ahead to the ship, we set sail. Okay, Luke, he's saying we here. Luke is with Paul as they're traveling, and they have other traveling companions. We set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. Get on the ship, Paul. It's a lot easier than walking, <laughs> right? So why? Well, honestly, the commentators are divided over this, but let me tell you what I think, okay? This is my opinion. This is not, okay? In that day and time, it was a very uh, well-known custom that if you had a, a traveler, a guest staying with you, the next morning when they left, you would pack up your things and you would travel with them on their journey, often for several miles. 
It was just the hospitable thing to do. They would wake up in the morning, they had their guests, and their guest was about to leave, and they would say, okay, we're leaving, and they would pack up their things, and they would travel with their guest in whatever direction they were going, like I said, often for several miles. You know what I think happened? I think the apostle Paul did not want to get on the ship because he wanted to spend even more time with the people of Troas. So what he did is he didn't get on the ship. He went by land because they would travel along with him and he would get to do more preaching, more teaching, pouring out to them more, encouraging them more and praying for them even more because he loved the church. Incredible, incredible love, incredible devotion from this man, the Apostle Paul. Now, um, here's the burning question that I want to ask. If he loves the church so much, you have to understand the Apostle Paul was a persecutor of the church and now he loves the church. We must ask the question, why does he love the church so much? I, I think it's so clear from this text, this dude is relentless and devoted to the church Why does he love the church so much? Here's the answer. He loves the church because Jesus loves the church. Why is he so devoted? Because Jesus is so devoted to his church. Why why was he so dedicated to the church? Because Jesus is dedicated to the church. Why does he sacrifice so greatly for the church? Because Jesus sacrificed so greatly for the church. Listen to what the apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. So it's just a little bit further down in this text when he's talking to the Ephesian elders. Listen to what he says. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Listen to this. Which he, Jesus, obtained with his own blood. What does that mean? That means that as they came and arrested Jesus, Jesus' heart was beating for the church. As they drug Jesus through false trials, Jesus was thinking about his church as they stripped Jesus bare and naked and scourged him in front of a crowd. Every drop of blood that hit the ground was hitting the ground for his church. And as they hung him on a rugged Roman crossbar and he died, he died for his church. Jesus loves the church. And so the apostle Paul loves the church. John chapter 10, verse 11. Here's what Jesus says. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus Christ came to this earth with a mission. What was his mission? To die for his church. The father sent him. The Holy Spirit empowered him. And Jesus earned the atoning work on the cross to save his church. It was a definite act performed on the cross where he died, he saved his church, period. Ephesians 3, 8 through 13. Listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of mystery hidden for the ages. Uh, 
when the Apostle Paul says the mystery hidden for the ages, he does not mean something that we don't know. What the Apostle Paul means is something that we formerly didn't know, but now we know. What is he talking about? He's talking about that God would come in flesh and die on the cross in our place for our sins. That's the mystery hidden, but now we know. And to bring light to everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in whom God created all things? So that, listen to this, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access and confidence through faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. What's the apostle Paul saying there? The apostle Paul is saying, what is God's plan to see people who don't know about him, know about him? What's God's plan? The church. What's God's plan to take people who are fledgling in their faith and struggling to, to walk with Jesus faithfully? What, what's, what's God's plan to see those people trained up and discipled to be faithful followers of Christ? What's God's plan? The church. What's God's plan to see broken marriages healed? What's God's plan to see addicts walk in freedom and, and, and redemption? What's God's plan? God's plan is the church. The, the church is the mechanism which is going to display the manifold wisdom of God to the entire world. And, and God's plan before it all began, before the foundations of the world began in his mind, God had the death of his son for the church. So, the church is God's plan to display God's manifold wisdom to the entire world. A few quick thoughts for us today. How do we cultivate this kind of love? I mean, listen, you need to know that. This type of unrelenting dedication to the church must be cultivated. It doesn't often just happen. For some people it does, for most of us out there it doesn't. For most of us out there, uh, we're not traveling by land and by sea and sleepless nights to get here on Sunday morning, yet oftentimes we find it very difficult. So how do we cultivate such a love, such a burning passion for the church of Jesus Christ? No substitutes, the church of Jesus Christ. How do we cultivate such a love? If you're taking notes, you can jot these down. Cultivate a love for the church by being consistent. Being consistent. Making a commitment as a family. Fathers taking, taking the lead on this, saying as a family, we are going to be consistent at church. We are church family. This is what we do. We are dedicated to the church of Jesus Christ. Come hell, high water, doesn't matter. We go to church on Sunday because we love Jesus. Be consistent. Be consistent. Be consistent in your community groups. Be consistent at, at, at the church functions that we have. Be consistent to connect with, with, with the body of Christ. This will help you begin to cultivate a love as you're here and as you fall in love with the people and you fall in love with, with what God is doing. Listen, the most encouraging thing for me and what helps me love the church more is when I'm here and I hear stories of how the church is changing people's life. That gets me excited. It gets me encouraged. It makes me want to come back again. So we can cultivate love for the church 
by being consistent. We can cultivate love by the church by being involved. Don't just show up, do something. Listen, the, the church all throughout the, the Bible is referred to as a family. It's given familial language, right? We're called brothers and sisters, aren't we? The Bible uses that because it's, it's showing that the church is like a family. And in every household, there are things that need to be done. Now, listen, uh, here is a great struggle for this church, okay? Uh, we average 60-ish adults on a Sunday morning. We average 30 kids. <laughs> if we're not careful, they're going to take us over, okay? A apparently, uh, at Gospel Community Church, when it says, be fruitful and multiply, we said, dibs. Um, Here's, here's what makes that such a great strain is because um, that basically means that we need every single adult volunteering in the kids' ministry if we have that many kids. The problem is uh, we have a band. Uh, it's hard for them to do that. We, we have tech team. We have, we have other people. We have guest services, we have other things. So what that means is there is a massive need in kids' ministry to serve. There, there's a great place to be involved. It's really simple. Erica uh, Robinson and Casey Bird are over that ministry. If, if, you, if you're not plugged in anywhere, that's where to get plugged in. You say, well, I don't, I don't really do. They can find, so you got to make crafts. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of stuff to do other than just teaching children if you don't feel like that is your strong suit. There's tons of other things and jobs that need to be done, and that's a great place to not just show up here, but to be involved. If you want to cultivate a love for the church, be consistent, be involved, and be generous. Be generous. Be generous with your finances and be generous with your time. Those are our two greatest resources. You need to understand that the ministry that is done in this church is, di listen, directly related to how much you give of your finances and how much you give of your time. The more time and the more finances we have is directly equal to more ministry and life change we will see. If we want to see more people reach for the gospel, if we want to see more marriages changed, if we want to see more people beating addictions, if, if we want to see more of that, what that means is more time and more money. That's what that means. And listen, nothing helps cultivate love than when you start kind of putting your money where your mouth is and, and giving to this church. It, it makes you invested so that you want to see it grow, so that you want to see more people come, so that you want to see more people having their lives changed through the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. Be consistent, be involved, and be generous. Now, as we continue to go through the book of Acts, we're going to learn something about the Apostle Paul. Eventually, uh, he is put on house arrest um, as he's been going from town to town, place to place. Um, he gets put on house arrest in Rome. So it's very, obviously very hard for him to travel um, and, and continue doing that. But he continues to build the church by anybody who would come to his house. If he, he would just get people to show up and he'd preach to them and he'd send them out to help build the church. Even when he was put on house arrest, the Apostle Paul is still loving the church and seeing the church go forth and grow. He was so incredibly dedicated, so much so that they killed him for it. They killed him for his love for Jesus and his love for the church. 
And here's what I want to close with. He gave his whole life to the church and it even cost him his life. And I want you to hear me, friends. His life was not wasted. It wasn't wasted. He gave it all to Jesus. He gave it all to the church. Even when they put him on house arrest, he kept fighting for the church. And when they eventually killed him at that death stroke, when he saw Jesus face to face again, he was not sorry. He didn't say, I should have done something else. I should have played more golf. I should have done this. I should have done that. He was not sorry that he had thrown his whole life into seeing the church go forth. His life was not wasted. And so my call to you today, friends, is don't waste your life. Give it to something that's meaningful. Give it to something that's eternal. Give it to something that's going to keep on going after you're gone. Your, your job and all the other stuff that we pour our life into, Facebook and Netflix, you have to understand all that stuff is, is going to end up on the ash heap. But the church of Jesus Christ will continue to go forward strong until the day he returns. And then the church will be eternal. Give your life to that, friends, and you won't have a wasted life. Let me pray. Father, I pray that we would have a deep and abiding love for your church. We would accept no substitutes other than a gathered congregation where the sacraments are taken, where the Bible is preached, where there is biblical church government and leadership and membership, and we would accept no other substitutes, and we would be devoted and in love with your church because you loved your church so much. Father, help us to plant more churches. Help us to see more people come to be a part of this church. Grow in us as individuals a burning love for your great church, your body. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.